Well, good morning. It's really a privilege to be here to share with you. I've so enjoyed these different uh, video, the video series we've watched before every one of these messages. I think they really get it right. Uh, So I've appreciated that a lot. My sermon title, Be Wise, Worship Jesus, it pretty much tells you the whole message. Right? I'm going to tell you about the wise men coming to worship Jesus or the magi. And the most simple, the end of the message is, will you be like the wise men who brought their gifts, who worshiped, who went on this incredible search? So I thought I'd just tell you that up front um, because I'm tempted in this message to go down many bunny trails and I will try not to. Uh, There's so many interesting things in this. Uh, The image is just a part of our African nativity set that we picked up when we lived in Senegal. So that's what that image of the wise men is on your screen. And at the very end, of course, the invitation is going to be, will you worship Jesus? This Christmas series has been really excellent. I've loved all every one of the messages, and I'm really grateful for the good preaching that we've had over the last uh, weeks. Um, When Carl showed me this proposal for this six-week series on Christmas, I immediately said, oh, I want the wise men. Um, I can remember as a child, especially playing with our Christmas nativity set, it was all plaster, painted plaster pieces. They were fairly large And uh, I have no idea how many times the camel's head broke off and had to be glued back on. Its neck was broken in three different places, and we kept gluing it back together. And I get to talk about my first grandchild. The weekend before Christmas, Carol and I went to Pittsburgh to spend it with our son and daughter-in-law and our new grandson, Tommy. And I was overwhelmed holding this little baby, thinking probably it had been more than 10, maybe even 15 years since the last time I held a newborn in my hands. And I thought, we're so close to Christmas, I, I, all I could think about was Jesus came into the world incredibly vulnerable. Dangerously so. If Mary and Joseph didn't take, take care of him, he would die. And what a huge job that is for new parents. Um, So God in the flesh as a tiny baby seems like this incredible risk. And and Jesus came into a very hostile world as we see in this story. The story makes it very clear. So my little grandson Tommy is born into what I would say is a a disenchanted world. The world that you and I live in, we're very rational, calculating, scientific. I mean, my undergraduate degree is in physics. If you ask me or tell me an interesting story, I say, yeah, show me the proof. That's just my heart attitude immediately. And that's the kind of world we live in. We don't have room in our world today for mystery, and um, stories of angels and 
uh, we immediately ascribe them to fairy tales uh, or mysticism, but, but we say, no, we live in a world where things are, we can understand them. We can study them and find out exactly how they work. And so I think that makes it really hard for me and for all of us to enter into this story of the Magi. And I think that we should also remember that for most of human history, people didn't share our rational, scientific worldview. For most of human history, people had space for a mysterious other world of angels and demons and gods and goddesses. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that most of human history and the, the story we're going to read in the, in the, of the Magi comes out of a world and an understanding of the world that's entirely different than mine than yours. People in the biblical world would have read this Psalm 19 very differently than you and I. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. I read that. I imagine most of you read that and say, yeah, that describes the glory and splendor of God. And when I see a a beautiful sunset, I think, oh, God made that. But I don't really entertain the idea that actually the stars are speaking to me or that the trees have something to say. Although a lot of people in modern climate science, a Christian friend of mine who's involved in, in climate science in Canada, he would say, no, of course the trees are speaking to you. But most of us just think of this psalm as, as, you know, something about God's splendor. We take it in a very general sense. But for many centuries, most people actually thought, no, God is actually really speaking to us. So think about the wonderful series of messages we've had over the last uh, five weeks before today. All kinds of marvels. Isaiah prophesies that a virgin is going to give birth. Mary and Joseph both have angels speak to them, and then they take action based on what these angels tell them. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, her aunt, John the Baptist, who's still in, Mary, in Elizabeth's womb, jumps in recognition of Jesus. Now, there's a mystery. Do you believe that? Or are you going to try to like, figure out, you know, maybe, maybe Mary uh, said something really loud and startled him? You know, well, that's where our minds go. Um, the shepherds, they had these angels speak to them, and then a choir of angels, and then they went off to Bethlehem to look for Jesus. Simeon, we learned, he was prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple on a particular day so that he could meet the Messiah. I mean, this, this whole Christmas thing is just filled with these marvels. We love and we read these stories, and I, but I wonder how much we're missing because of our, our own context and our own inability to, to get into these, these stories. 
I want to say a few words about an Old Testament background to the text that I'll read in a minute. So basically, I, I want to set the story of the Magi coming to worship Jesus in the context that one The promise of the Messiah comes from a long time before. And the Jewish people have been waiting for this Messiah. And we've had prophet after prophet in the past prepare the way. Two, another part of the context is that God's plan has always been bigger than just the Jewish people. God's plan throughout the beginning from Genesis chapter 12 right on up till now is that All people are called. God's purposes and plans include every tribe, every nation, every language. And you can read, I could have picked 50 different scriptures. I just picked two. Psalm 72 is what you might call a coronation psalm. It says, the eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. He, talking about the Messiah, he will rescue the poor when they cry out to them and he will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence. And Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears to you, and all nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. So I I think the Magi are prophesied. And today's text foreshadows things that then Jesus teaches later and that we see in the early church. Jesus, in John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus, later in his teaching, says, I'm going to bring people that you don't even know about who are going to come. They're going to acknowledge me as their shepherd. I'm going to bring them in so we have one flock. And in Acts, when Peter Uh, gets up to speak in Cornelius' house. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And finally, we turn to our text for today. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they had opened their tra- then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I want to take a look back into this text now and just start by saying, who are the characters? And I'm going to just put them in order of appearance in the text. So the first character you have is Jesus, baby Jesus, being born to Mary. Then we have King Herod. He's a big character in this uh, story. His father was a convert to Judaism who married uh, a, a, a Jewish woman from one of the wealthiest Jewish families. King Herod was a light, had lived part of his life actually in Rome, and he was a lifelong friend of Mark Anthony. He was appointed king of Judea in 37 B.C., And he was a builder of fortresses and um, theaters and aqueducts. And he built the second temple. The temple that Jesus knew and taught in was built by King Herod. King Herod was also cruel and violent and caught up in all kinds of palace intrigues which led him to do things like kill his firstborn son, later have his wife and her two sons and her mother and father and a bunch of other relatives all killed. He was paranoid. His actions then, you know, at the, at the next thing that happens after the text I read is that he orders that all the children in Bethlehem be executed who were two years and under. That's just like normal action for Herod. It's not even surprising if you look at the life of Herod. He's a bad guy. And we have the Magi. They come from the east. We saw his star when it rose, they say. Who are the Magi? Oh, this is fun. I could spend a whole afternoon on this one. Um, There's, of course, thousands of proposals of people about what exactly, what star they saw and where they come from and who they are. Let me just give you... um, sort of a best guess that a lot of people would, would say probably has some validity. They're Zoroastrian priests and astrologers. Zoroastrianism is a religion that arose sometime around 700, 600 years before Christ in the region of uh, Baghdad, Persia, uh, that part of what we call the East, And they um, believed in a very dualistic universe, good versus evil, a cosmic warfare between demons and angels, and um, 
you get a hint of what this might be, of how you might understand that if you read the book of Daniel, and Daniel talks about this war in the heavenlies. Daniel wrote that while he's living in Persia. Um, but these guys, these magi, um, it seems they had a lot of political clout and a lot of wealth. They arrive in Jerusalem, they create a big stir. Everybody knows they've arrived. And they're asking questions and they get an audience with the king. Um, probably if I went to Washington, D.C., no matter how many questions I asked, I wouldn't get an audience with the president. Right? I, I can't create that stir. But these, these guys with, with their camels, I imagine, I don't know, but my, my childhood says that they, were, they had camels, they arrived and they created this big stir. Um, the other thing that I forgot to mention about King Herod is that he's Jewish. He's born to a Jewish mother. And these magi are not Jewish. That we're sure about. We don't know a lot of things about the magi, but we know they're Gentiles. And we know that they traveled a distance to get to Jerusalem. And they saw a star. The star. The star is a big character in this story. It appears twice. First, once when they're back in their homeland, they see a star, and their understanding of the world is that that particular astronomical event happening in that location in the sky means a king was born for the Jews. My goodness, what kind of world did they live in? How did they know that? But they did. And it was so astonishing and so important to them, they pack up for a journey. They take action. They move. They are headed to go find this new king. And there's all kinds of stories, stories, proposals about what they actually saw. If you want a wonderful one-hour video on this, go to BBC um, Night Sky 2015, and you can get six or seven different proposals by people who've put a lot of time and energy into trying to figure this out. Was it a planetary conjunction like it was on the local news? Uh, December 21st, we saw a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn, the, most, the closest one in the last 800 years, but it was cloudy in Lancaster, and I looked and I didn't get to see it. Uh, I did see it like four days before when they were still a little bit apart. It could have been the star, a star rising. There's certain stars that are hid by the sun every year, and then they rise at a certain point when the sun gets into a new place in the calendar. It could have been a nova or a supernova or a meteorite. The announcers settle on they like a comet best. For a lot of good reasons, actually. Comets, as they near the sun, they get this big tail, and you can see them for a few weeks, and then they go behind the sun and they disappear for a while. And then they reappear again. And it kind of fits the story. But we don't know. We don't know what they saw. But they saw something. Next in the story, we have the people of Jerusalem. They're the ones that the text tells us got all excited when they heard about the, the, the Magi. And in the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem, at the time of the birth of Jesus is a volatile political place. 
they are oppressed. They're looking for a Savior. They want somebody to get them out from under the thumb of Rome. So these guys arriving saying, there's a king been born, it creates quite a stir. And there's the chief priests and teachers of the law in this story. They're the ones that Herod calls to get help. It's just, I think, a general reference to the Jewish leaders and probably a reference really to the Herodians, the the Jewish scholars and teachers, the political class of the Jewish community who were supporters of King Herod, I'm guessing. And they provide the exact location of Bethlehem from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. The last person in the story is Mary. Um... And we've already heard a good sermon on Mary, so I won't say anything more about Mary. But Mary is, of course, there with baby Jesus. Interestingly, Matthew doesn't mention that Joseph was there. We don't know where Joseph was that day. But I can imagine, if I was Joseph and I came home and found gold and frankincense and myrrh and this story about these kings coming and worshiping Jesus, that would be pretty exciting. Um, Maybe he was there, we don't know. So what are we supposed to do with this? You and me, today, what are we supposed to do with this amazing story? I think the first thing that I want to say is that we should open our hearts. Open our hearts to welcome anyone that God calls. In this story, we have foreigners who come to Jerusalem. Did you, I didn't get the idea reading the story at all that they were welcome. Herod wants to use them. The people are excited that something's happened, but I don't get the feeling that they were welcome guests. They were just a curiosity. Uh, they caused a problem for Herod. My sense is that God would like to speak to us about welcoming anyone he brings, even people that we don't expect, who are interested in and want to worship Jesus. Through all the different Christmas texts that we've been in this year, think about this. Who are the people that recognize Jesus and acknowledge who he really is? All the different Christmas texts we've read this year. Did did Herod? I don't think so. Did the uh, people in Jerusalem? It seems not. But if we think about the full Christmas story, the people that actually get what's going on are Mary and Joseph, a poor teenager, a young carpenter, the shepherds, Elizabeth, Um, Simeon and Anna. And in this story, it's, it's foreigners, people of another religion from another country who recognize Jesus and worship him. Who doesn't worship? Well, Herod and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the people of Jerusalem, even though everybody was all stirred up, Notice that nobody is, I find this really fascinating. Nobody followed the Magi to go to Bethlehem. It's only like 
six miles. So I don't think most people bought their story at all. I mean, if Herod really believed it, he could have sent a spy to follow him. He wouldn't have needed them to come back. I don't know. There's always so many things we're not told when we read the Bible, right? But I, I read this story as, an, as a real indictment on the political and religious leaders of the time in Jerusalem. They didn't recognize the very thing that they should have been very well prepared to recognize. The Messiah has been born. These foreigners just came and told you. You looked it up in your book of Micah and you say, yes, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. But they didn't believe. Obviously, they didn't believe at all. The ones who were very well prepared didn't believe. And they end up completely rejecting the Messiah. So, part of what this means for me is that we need to open our hearts to see what God is doing and the place we should look, this is what I want to get us to, is probably not the places you would expect, but we should look in the margins. And I thought, okay, Jonathan, nice, say look in the margins. What does that mean? I found three examples from the past year. The only message I've heard in the last 15 or 20 years about angels and God's work of, through angels was when I visited an African-American church last summer. It's not an important church. It's relatively insignificant and unknown. But here I heard this fantastic message about angels. I thought, well, I don't know where else I'd go to get a message about angels. And a um, couple months ago, a friend of mine in Ghana, a pastor, he was invited to speak at a community event organized by the governor of their region, and he chose to speak on Jesus as the reconciling peacemaker that our community needs. I thought, wow, this guy's brave. He's giving me an example. So I'm looking to, this, this, to him for an example of how I should behave and act. And the last one is I found out about a conservative Mennonite group from Lancaster who, the little bit I know about them, I find myself a little like, oh, I don't think I could worship with these people. Doing fantastic refugee ministry at great risk to themselves in Greece. So I think, Wow. I need to open my heart to receive the different ways that God speaks and the different kinds of people that God brings to speak to us. Okay, number two. Now we get to the part that's sort of like the sermon title. Be wise. Be like the wise men. Be like the magi. They actively sought knowledge. The reason they recognized ah, that particular star right there is they had given their whole lifetime to studying this stuff. They were ready. They were waiting for God to speak to them. And when God spoke, they took action. They actually believed that psalm, although they probably had never heard it, that God was speaking, pouring forth speech. And they, they acted on it. So, the second point of this is 
act on what you learn. When God speaks, act. The Magi packed up their camels, filled their treasure boxes, and started off on a journey to find this new king. And the whole entire Christmas story from beginning to end is filled with people who were just like them. When God spoke to Mary, she said, yes, may it be as you desire it to be. I'm your servant. When God spoke to Joseph, it says he didn't hesitate. He went and took Mary to be his wife. When God spoke to the shepherds, they went into Bethlehem and left their sheep on the mountainside. In every case throughout this Christmas story, we see people that were open to hear God speak, and they acted, and in every case, they're not the important people of society. They're the lowliest, least significant people who are giving the right kind of response to God. And when the Magi arrived in um, Bethlehem, they knelt down and worshipped, as this video we watched so accurately described. The wise men worshipped Jesus. They recognized that this was the Messiah. This is the one they had set out on this long journey for, and they bowed down and worshipped. And immediately the question pops up in my mind is, will you worship? Will I worship? And they brought gifts. The Magi opened their treasure chests. I think that's the New Living Translation. And they gave rich gifts. Gifts, I imagine, made it possible for Joseph and Mary the next week or whenever it was the next day to flee to Egypt and live for a number of months before it was um, safe for them to return home. So God's miraculous provision with these gifts, it's, it's just a wonderful thing all tied together. In the end... It's not where you come from, or who you are, or what religion you're from. You're not going to be judged on any of those things. You will be judged on your response to Jesus. Do you recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Do you worship Messiah? Isaiah prophesied the birth of a Savior. Mary and Joseph were told, and we sang it this morning, we're told to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Throughout this whole Christmas series of preaching, we've, we've noticed how people responded to Jesus and his birth. Mary and Joseph just welcomed him. Mary sang the Magnificat, which, which declares everything about um, his salvation power for the poor and the oppressed. She sang this hymn of praise. Elizabeth and John the Baptist recognized Jesus. The shepherds recognized him and they believed and went to look for him. And I can only think they also worshipped when they were there. Simeon recognized Jesus, worshipped God, and so did Anna. The Magi worshipped. So I come back to these simple questions. What about you? What about me? Do you recognize Jesus? Are you listening and waiting for God to speak to you so that you can take action? Or, 
Are you stuck in this world where we live, where we hear things and we say, oh, well, yeah, God probably can't be speaking to me. I better just stay home and not bother about doing this or that. Um, it's very easy for me to rationalize. I, I often hear God speak to me, and it's very easy, easy for me to say, yeah, Jonathan, but yeah, you know, that's probably not the right way to do things, and you should be more, a little more cautious and whatnot. But the people I see in this Christmas story that are commended to us now from 2,000 years past, they believed and they acted, and it's probably because they were really ready to hear when God was speaking to them. This morning, I urge you to follow the example of the Magi and other wise men and women who recognized that Jesus was the Savior of the world and they worshiped him. I invite you to seek knowledge, to act upon it, to worship, and to bring your gifts. Be wise. Worship Jesus.